Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light This week's episode is all about the little ways we settle with our summertime shooting sessions and how that can cost us big time when the hunting season rolls around. Listen, it's the end of July, and if you're not shooting somewhat regularly, you should be. Back in the spring, I dropped a couple episodes on target shooting with some wisdom on how to make the most of your sessions. And I really kind of hope you started shooting back there in the spring, but if you didn't, you better get to the range now. And you should also pay attention to your gear, whether you're a bow hunter or a gun hunter or both, because there are a million different ways we settle that can cost us when the actual season opens up and it's time to go hunting. One of the things I love about elk hunting is just the downtime throughout the day. I know that sounds weird, but since I've never done anything but public land over-the-counter elk hunts, I've never gotten into one of those dreamy situations where the elk are just bugling all day and going absolutely nuts. My hunts, and probably yours if you've ever been lucky enough to elk hunt, they just contain a lot of dead hours. And even if you hunt the last week of the season when temperatures should be cooler, this is almost a guarantee. You're going to hit those dry spells. And if you're hunting with a partner, like I usually am, you tend to shrug off your pack somewhere in the shade, pull out your pocket rocket to boil some water for coffee, and you just shoot the shit while waiting for something to happen. During one of these sessions in 2019, my elk hunting partner, Tyler, started telling me stories about his first hunts. 
he told me about bear encounters, his lack of skills, and an elk he missed because he was using three different weights of arrows. He didn't know any better at the time. So he filled his quiver up with whatever arrows he could get his hands on, and he just went hunting. Now, considering he's one of the most gear-obsessed bow hunters I know now, it's safe to say he learned from his mistakes, but not before it cost him some opportunities. Now, maybe it's different today with all the information available, but I also remember those older days pretty well. I hunted for years with arrows that were probably not spined correctly. They were probably not the right length. They were probably tipped with broadheads at different weights. While any of those things alone might, and I do mean might, cost you an animal, certainly not a guarantee. Bow hunting is a game of little details, and to an extent, so is gun hunting. If you don't shore up everything that is within your power, you'll have deer slip right through your fingers. And those losses sting the most, at least in my mind they do, because they're preventable. And there is no better time than now to address some of those things, long before the summer shooting sessions are over and the actual season is upon us. So let's take archery ammo, our arrows, as a first example, at least before we get into bullets. Now for all you bow hunters, ask yourself, are you shooting a properly spined arrow? I hope so, because if not, you're in trouble. An improperly spined arrow is either going to be too stiff or not stiff enough for your setup, and it's going to wreak havoc on your accuracy. You might not notice if you only practice at 20 yards with a paper plate tacked to your target, but if you try for any level of precision, you might. And if you try to shoot broadheads, even mechanicals, you'll probably notice. If you shoot fixed blade heads, you almost definitely will. Now, I'd argue, although I could lose this argument, the proper spine is more important than your individual arrow brand choice. What I mean by that is if you spend big money to buy the new greatest, I don't know, micro diameter arrows you can, but they aren't spined for your setup, you'd be better off with a dozen that cost a quarter of the high end ammo, but is spined correctly. Now what you tip your arrows with matters too. I'm not going to dive into front of center and some of the more technical stuff here. But I'll say that a grain scale is a pretty good investment. Cheap too. Understanding why you might need it is important. I like knowing exactly how much my arrows weigh. And I like knowing that my field points weigh exactly, or damn near exactly, the same as my broadheads. You pull out a handful of field points that range from 85 grains to 125, your arrows won't behave all that different, uh, probably. But it will give you a skewed view of your point of impact, especially if you only shoot 100 grain heads, which is by far the most common weight these days. Also, as a life pro tip, if you do have an archery tackle box with a bunch of broadheads in it, always close it up and keep it out of reach. I had an open tackle box with a bunch of broadheads in my office one time, and I was leaning back in my office chair talking on the phone when that chair flat out exploded on me. I instinctively put my hand out to catch myself and it went right into a box with like 73 different broadheads in it. It was an absolute miracle that I didn't need stitches or surgery, but it also made me think about a little kid tripping over it and made me realize I should probably be a little safer with that stuff. Anyway, consistency in your gear is a very good thing because we strive to be as consistent as possible with our shooting form and shot execution for obvious reasons. Now, if your practice heads weigh three different weights, but your broadheads don't, you've got some inconsistency there. 
and it might not treat you very well when the buck of 10 lifetimes stops at 42 yards and you think, I can thread the needle and get this one. And you gun hunters, you're not off the hook either. I don't know how many times a relative or some other acquaintance has told me about buying a box of shells right before the deer opener. Sure, they'll say. They sighted in their rifle at the old quarry a few weeks ago, but they used old ammo and wanted to make sure they had some heavy hitting stuff for those big Northwoods bucks or whatever. Now, if those bucks happen to cruise by at like 50 yards, switching from 140 grain bullets to 180 grain bullets might not matter a whole lot. But what about when he's 250 yards out in a clear cut trying to sniff a doe's butt and now your drop is 10 inches instead of six? We might feel the need to settle for whatever we can get our hands on in the current ammo market. But if you do, hunt with what you practice with, please. Whether you gun hunt or bow hunt, I also think it's imperative to use a rangefinder as religiously as possible. Now, I know there are some times in the woods where the action happens real fast and you don't have time to pop a reading, but most of the time you have more time than you think. Bow hunters out west are probably the most consistent with this, and whitetail bow hunters throughout the Midwest and the East are probably pretty consistent. But if that's a crutch you use to know exactly where to aim, then you should lean on it a lot. This is one of the reasons why I don't like going to shooting ranges too often. Many often have targets set up at exactly 10-yard increments, or if they have a walkthrough course, there will be a sign with specific yardage. Now, there's nothing wrong with shooting at these courses, but it's also a good idea to shoot where you don't know the range, and you have to use your rangefinder to tell you every time you knock an arrow. This does two things. It gets you in the habit of always using it, and it helps you estimate range better when you don't have the chance to use it. Don't settle for guessing when you don't need to. And this goes for rifle hunting too. And I honestly think a rangefinder is a hell of a lot more important to shotgun, rifle, and muzzleloader hunters than we give it credit for. Now, I know that the margin of error is a little smaller when you're working with controlled explosions and lead spinning its way through rifled barrels. But think about every rifle range you've ever been to. There will be shaded benches with targets at 100 yards, 200 yards, maybe 300 yards. Might be some in the middle distances at 50-yard increments as well. Maybe you hold your 270 dead on at 100 yards and it hits, I don't know, four inches low at 200. Maybe it hits 10 or 12 inches low at 300. So you shoot half a box of shells and you think to yourself, I don't know, if he's within three football fields, he's dead. Then you go out to your favorite ladder stand on the power line on opening morning. At first light, he steps out nervously and you think to yourself, I don't know, he can't be more than 150 yards. You hold a smidge high and you let her rip. But then you see belly hair blow up and he runs off. When you get down to look for blood, you realize he was big, bigger than you've ever seen while hunting, and he was a hell of a lot farther away than you guessed. Now, this type of thing happens all the time because we settle for good enough when we could just use some of the tools at our disposal to be far more accurate and confident in our shooting out in the field. And we do this in a lot of other ways too, in ways that transcend bow or gun hunting to just the general hunting experience. Take comfort, for example. When we are shopping for new camo or even a seat cushion, we often think about price first. I get that. I really do. But then we also think camo patterns. We think a lot of things about ourselves like, I don't know, well, this mid-layer jacket is way cheaper than the heavy-duty cold-weather one, and I'm pretty tough, so I can handle a lot of cold, so I think I'll just go with it. Or you think, hell, I'm a super tough guy who doesn't get 
too miserable anywhere. I don't need an extra layer of padding on that old ladder stand. I can sit all day on metal and not have to worry about it. You know, then November rolls around and it's with it, the temperatures drop and the wind picks up out of the north. And it might be perfect rut weather, but it's also not great weather for being 17 feet up in a tree for hours on end while the cold wind blows right in your face. And that mid-layer jacket or not having a good seat cushion, you know, that's a different kind of thing there. It's not so much fun, not so comfortable. Now, I'm not saying you need to drop serious coinage for high-end camo to kill deer. But when it comes to settling for good enough, sometimes Mother Nature says, not on my watch. And when you're moving around and miserable and prone to calling a hunt hours before you have to, you're going to kill fewer deer. You're going to have less fun. This is kind of like pain tolerance. Ask anyone who works in the medical profession what the average person rates their pain tolerance on in the 1 to 10 scale. Most people respond with a really high number, quickly followed by the disclaimer that I have a really high threshold for pain. But they don't understand the assignment because they aren't doubled over bawling their eyes out and praying to a merciful God to take them from this earth and relieve them of their agony. They are sitting there, calm as a cucumber, overestimating their ability to handle pain. They're not at a 10. This is just like what we often do when we think about deer hunting conditions and we're not actually out in those deer hunting conditions. And I know this might sound a little crazy too, but I think if we settle on the little stuff, like inconsistent weights of our bullets or field points, we'll start to settle in other ways. Like, I don't know how many cameras we run or whether we go glass for whitetails once a week or once per month, or whether we put up three stands in the preseason instead of six. In that way, I think all of this stuff, like most of the things in life, is a good, slow, gradual progression toward being better. If you make the decision to weigh your field points and screw them into arrows that are spined correctly, you're going to be better off. and You're going to have more fun shooting then you might not settle for a few practice sessions throughout the summer, but instead get a little more disciplined on the quality and quantity of your sessions. And if you do that, you'll be looking forward to that first buck of the season walking right into your shooting lane because you're going to believe that you're going to kill him. Instead of looking forward to the encounter because it's cool to have a buck that close, but also being somewhere in the range of a little nervous you'll screw up, to being totally afraid of having to take the shot because what if you do screw up and then you have to tell your buddies again that you whiffed big or worse, it's time to toss some fresh batteries into the flashlights and go on another wild goose chase blood trailing adventure that will always end with a predictable platitudes like, I don't know, who knows, maybe he'll make it or the coyotes have to eat too or some other way we make ourselves feel better while masking the truth with grade A bullshit. Maybe if you don't settle at this time of year when you're at the range, you won't settle for a good enough shooting lane or a good enough entrance route when you know damn well you're engaged in a fun game of self-sabotage where you'll make way too much noise on the way in opening morning or you'll watch the woods wake up with the rising sun only to realize that you have one so-so shooting lane. Now there are times in life where settling is okay. Just for an example, the other day we went out to eat and I asked for a Diet Coke and they brought me a Dr. Pepper instead. And I thought, what the hell? It's pretty delicious, more delicious than a Diet Coke, actually. And even though I settled for a full sugar soda, like a, I don't know, real housewife of somewhere, I guess, or something, I'm really not that big of a prima donna. 
I could have said something, but I didn't. I don't care that much. You could settle in other ways too. Some people settle for a spouse because they think the viable mate market is mostly tapped out for them. I don't really recommend that because that's kind of a big one and reminds me of something I read the other day. It was a story about dad jokes, I think. But anyway, the author said that his father always referred to his mother as his first wife, even though they are currently married and have no plans to serve her the papers and look for a second one. I've been using that on my wife too, and she hates it, but I think it's hilarious. You don't want to settle for a spouse or a podiatrist when you really need an optometrist. You don't want to settle for too many little things in your pursuit to become a better hunter. If you can control it, you should try to control it. A good way to look at this is to think about summer shooting sessions. What are the ways to encourage better accuracy? How do they change from the range to the field? Is there a way to bridge that gap or ensure that they won't change when you go from the backyard to the treetops in your new saddle? Is there a way where you can be a little more disciplined so you know exactly what range you're shooting at no matter whether you're just punching paper or trying to deflate lungs? What are the little ways you cannot settle for good enough but instead opt for exactly what you need or exactly what you should be doing? Now, if you start to flush some of those things out, they're going to snowball in a positive direction. If you don't believe that, just pay attention to some of the best hunters out there. Those public land hunters who just get it done wherever they go, they're not settling a whole lot. They don't settle when they're e-scouting, hanging stands, shooting in the summer, choosing when to take a shot, you name it. They don't settle for good enough because when you're dealing with a game of infinite variables and the most important of tiny details, one little thing that isn't up to par can set off cascading failures that ultimately ends up with a buck living another day and not them taking grip and grin photos. So my friends, be careful what you settle for because good enough in the whitetail woods isn't usually that good. That's it for this week, my whitetail-loving friends. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. If you haven't gotten enough whitetail goodness, your, your whitetail fix on this podcast and the regular Wired to Hunt podcast, please head on over to our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel and check out our how-to videos or visit themeateater.com slash wired to read all the latest and greatest articles that we drop every week from myself, Mark, and a whole bunch of whitetail slayers. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening and for your support. We really appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.